We are parents, teachers, and educators. And like you, we're passionate about restoring our culture for Christ. This is Veritas Vox, the voice of classical Christian education. Hi, you've joined us again for Veritas Vox. This is the second episode about the origination of Veritas. And we left off last time uh, with the first summer related to our first catalog. The year was 1998. We were living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We put together a catalog and that was a lot of work in confirming prices and identifying products and that sort of thing. It was good work, but it was a lot different than today because the internet was not as developed and there were a lot of things uh, that we had to get by telephone. But there's a whole lot more. Yeah, there's a whole lot more to the story. I'll let Laurie jump in here with uh, what that summer was like. Well, we had four small boys at the time, um, and they were busy. And (laughs) um, we had not lived in Lancaster that long, maybe three years at that point. Um, And so we were still, you know, it's where Marlin's from, but still getting settled. And um, Veritas Academy had started. And so we were involved there and working on the following school year. But that summer, we sent those catalogs out. um, And we had no idea what was coming. We decided we would do this from our home. Um, We didn't want to spend the money on any rental space. And it was just the two of us at that point. (laughs) So what difference did it make if we were doing it at home? That was way back before COVID and work from home. So that was kind of an odd thing. And we had uh, pulled our cars out of our garage and had set up a tiny little warehouse in a two-car garage and then the catalogs hit, and oh my was, goodness, we had no idea what was coming. We uh, obviously hit a nerve uh, in the marketplace. Yeah. We sent out 32,000 catalogs to lists that we were able to acquire that were really people yeah. who were going to be very uh, inclined right. to classical Christian education. And we thought we were going to handle the business of uh, Veritas with one phone line that had call waiting. And that's how we started. And it was in uh, very real terms, an unmitigated disaster. I would get up and I forget what our hours were. They were short, I think maybe. 12 to 5. Right. But at 12 o'clock, the phone would ring. I'd answer it. And then it would ring again on call waiting. And I'd clear one call, the the second call to get back to the first. And it was not uncommon for me to handle 12 phone calls while on one call. Uh, What else do you remember? I just, (laughs) I know what I remember. I just remember like, we would the second we would wake up and we didn't sleep very much we'd go out and the little boys too were helping and packing boxes and we wouldn't even get out of our pajamas before we ended up having to hire some people to come in and had more phone lines so literally we had people in our dining room our living room our bedrooms answering phone calls and um we had six 
phones right. being manned in our office when no in our house. I'm sorry, in our house <laughs> when uh, the, the phone when, when the phones were open, uh, and that was before Wi-Fi. We had to have a hardwire internet installed, and if I remember correctly, I was in my study. We had somebody in the dining room, kitchen, basement, which was a finished basement. There was a good work area there. An upstairs bedroom, and I believe family room. There were what? six locations. And the one in the kitchen led to the um, garage slash warehouse. And so they were back and forth constantly. Uh, and, and I was on, what are the phones called that you can take the receiver off? You know, not this was yourself, like a speakerphone thing. And I could only get so far from the house and the kids would be in the backyard. Playing. Oh, you mean a wireless, a cordless yeah, like phone. a cordless phone. Yeah. And so I would be standing on the back porch, put it on mute so I could yell at my kids to not, <laughs> you know, kill, Do whatever. kill themselves, jump off the swing set or whatever, and then get back on the phone with the person. And fortunately, most of it was homeschooling mom. So I would finally just start laughing and say, I'm really sorry, but I have a kid on top of a swing set. And I've got to get them before they break a bone. Can you hold on a minute? And then I'd run to the warehouse and our garage. And I can remember you being on the call with the customer and the UPS truck would back in. And it was our neighbors were starting to get irritated. So Marlon hired their daughter to work for us. So they wouldn't. It was, get it was a little bit of a political move. She was good, but it, it worked out really oh well that way. <laughs> but UPS would come two to three times a day because we could never like we we only had the we couldn't get semis into where we were. Obviously, it was a neighborhood, so they'd send a little truck. And honestly, that summer, I don't think I don't I don't remember what we ate, what we did. We didn't do anything. <laughs> Other than work. Boxes, answer phones, and and then looking forward, going, we've got to get an office location. Like this is not gonna work. Um, but we but in the middle of the summer, which is very much our busy season, yeah, that we couldn't, couldn't move. happen. So it had to wait till the fall. And that's what we did. And, and, and at our, that point, our we neighbors realized, were quite grateful yeah. as well. <laughs> and we realized at that point, I mean, when we started, Marlon still had not given up our real estate investment company. And, but at that point we kind of realized there wasn't going, this business was obviously, it just seemed God had called us here. He wanted us to be doing this and there wasn't going to be time. So then he started transitioning really to where this was going to be full-time work for, for both of us um, and has been now for a lot of years. Yeah. Nearly 30 years. Yeah. So we uh, really, Really, you know, ordering, uh, fulfilling oh. orders, all of those things were just a huge challenge. And I don't know that many of you listening <laughs> were around for us yeah. back then, almost 30 years ago. But if it happens to have been your parents or even grandparents, please thank them for their patience in yeah. the process, because it really was uh an enormous challenge uh of uh blessing beyond our imagination. I, I can remember hauling going to Home Depot and getting 
folding tables so we could put them down our driveway so we could get more people. Fortunately, you know, it wasn't raining, but we could get more people to pack boxes because we just couldn't get enough done. And our little boys packed more boxes than I want to even think about. (laughs) So that was the first (coughs) summer uh, for Veritas with the first catalog. It was 19... 98 for the 98-99 school year. And I should say this real quickly. Ned Bustard, who many of you have um, seen his name, he's authored and worked on a lot of our curriculum. Um, He and his wife um, and Leslie passed away this past year um, from cancer very early. You know, she's home with the Lord, but that's been um, hard for everybody, particularly for Ned, but they were so involved um, in putting the catalog together. And then just as we built, there would be so many nights I can remember over at Ned and Leslie's where our kids would sleep on their floor. They're, they didn't, I mean, their children were little, little at that point, and they might've only had one. Um, and Ours were old enough. That didn't remain yeah. the case, but it we would get close to the catalog deadline. Oh. We're working on a deadline yeah. for delivery so that it's, it gets mailed timely. And of course, anytime that kind of thing happens, the last few days end yeah. up being really crunch time. And there were nights where we would literally sleep in Ned's office and he would wake us up when we needed to look at something to approve it, to move on. Right. And he would work through the night to meet the deadline. And Leslie was just um, a saint, because, which <laughs> everybody knows her to be that. But when I really look back on those first years and those, cat- those first catalogs that we did, because it's very time consuming, she put up with so much to have all my little boys there. Yeah. So um, We've always done around. one catalog yeah. a year. It gets mailed around Mother's Day, which mm-hmm. is the second Sunday in May. Yeah. And that's been a, a pattern that we've had now since the first mm-hmm. catalog. Of course, uh, the mailing list has grown from 32,000 to be uh, into uh, six figures. And it's a very different world. We have a whole lot more uh, help now. Um, and so uh, it's a very different uh, set of circumstances. So that moved along the history and Bible uh, cards, tapes, and teacher's manuals Which, that's got a, created. But be, when, before we moved to yeah. Pennsylvania, we had had the history, the music for the history cards done. Let Talk a show. little bit about that. Yeah. Um, when we were transitioning between Orlando and Pennsylvania, we were homeschooling. We were going back and forth. And a dear friend, Michelle Watt, um, I told many people this and told them, if you want to homeschool, find a best friend and then homeschool with them. And I was the creative. She was the math person. And so she, CPA by training. She we divided and conquered. And so I taught history, literature, Bible and um, English grammar, and she taught math um, and Latin, and actually we split grammar, but she taught all the math and all the Latin. And so we would trade boys. She had two boys. And so Monday, she got all the boys. Tuesday, I got all the boys. And it was really great for a couple reasons. One, it gave each of us two days. Well, you didn't really trade that way, as I remember. They were all in our house. So all six and and Michelle. Well, not as much. It was we had a room set up. Anyway, we're not going to argue in front of you. We'll do that other times. (laughs) But it was a great way to do it. But she, um, when we started doing this, and we, you know, everybody 
believes that kids learn best when they have music to memorize and to help memorize with. And so um, she had a music background and she wrote um, the music for all of the history. Wrote it, produced it, sang it. it. Yeah. It was hilarious uh, because her husband, when he found out how much she was going to pay out of her own pocket to do that out of their pocket, said, well, that money is gone. And what is absolutely hilarious is what happened. Why don't you relate well, what happened with um, she 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 was paid royalties. Well. She was paid royalties, and over the years she did quite well from them. And so he was very happy at one point in their marriage <laughs> when um she had done really well with them. With when, the when she got to about uh her royalties were about a hundred times what she had paid to produce it and uh she finally said i just can't take anymore <laughs> it was pretty funny yeah but anyway and we've had a friendship for years and um anyway so and we spent the years we put the cards the year we put all the cards together we were living in lancaster and once again this was way back before the internet now if i want to access the Library of Congress or any of the uh, Metropolitan Museum of Art or most of the art museums now, all I have to do if I want an image is I just go online and I can get it. That was not the case. Um, None of their stuff was um, digitized at that point online. And so you literally had to go in, you had to get checked out your credentials. At the Library of Congress. At the Library of Congress. And Marlon and I would go in, put on the white gloves, put on the mask, not for COVID reasons, for getting things contaminated. And we would go in and spend, I mean, hundreds of hours going through images, trying to find images, and then they would digitize them and we would purchase them. And so we spent a summer, we would trade. I would he would go look and take the kids to do something. And then I would go look and take the kid. He would take the kids to do something. So we had a summer where our kids spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. museums. So. It's only about a two and a half hour yeah. drive. And there's also a book bar. It's a bookstore, but yeah. it's called the book Baldwin's bar. Book Barn, about an hour from us in Westchester. Yeah. And the owner of that uh, was very good. He would literally let us set up in his shop with a scanner and, and have complete access to books that were public domain books for images and that sort of thing. It was quite uh, quite an ordeal. And the kids were with us every step of the way. You know, people ask us, how did we have four sons that are, this is kind of a side note, all very entrepreneurial. And they, I, they always say, how do you do it? And I don't believe entrepreneurial Entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is taught. I really believe it's caught. And so our kids just grew up with this business growing and we pretty much included them in everything. Um, And we always made sure they had fun. We always made sure, I mean, they got to see lots of different things in the world that they wouldn't have seen had we not had this business. So but I believe that along the way, they just really learned how to build a business. And now they've all started their own businesses. And, but know. probably notable following that, there were a whole lot of other things that happened, but was uh, the great books curriculum that we call yeah. the omnibus curriculum. Right. We had a symposium in Lancaster where there were about 30 participants mm-hmm. talk, just talking about ideas. Mm-hmm. And out of that came an idea that became the omnibus curriculum. And so Ty and Emily Fisher, Mm -hmm. Doug and Nancy Wilson, Laurie and I 
got together in Colonial Williamsburg, the best place that we knew to have a meeting like this, and spent, I think, three, maybe four days Mm -hmm. discussing and designing what has become the omnibus curriculum. We we selected at that uh, Mm -hmm. uh, get-together, I think the books for Omnibus 1, maybe 1, 2, and 3, I don't remember. And Ty Fisher agreed to, to function as the, I don't know what his title is in the books off the top of my head, but he really managing became the editor. general manager or the managing editor. Yeah. And that was the birth of the Omnibus. And yeah. we, in that year that followed then, we did Omnibus 1. Um, and the next year we did 2, the next year we did 3. Then we took a year break. And did four, five, and six mm-hmm. in one year sequence. So the omnibus was created, the books themselves seven over a seven-year time frame. Yeah. Right. What do you remember about that? It was just a lot of work. <laughs> and we read a lot of books. I read a lot of books yeah. that I had not either read in years or had never read. Um, and I just remember thinking, I wish that that was the education that I'd had. Um as we were putting lessons together and talking about it, talking about what is it we want students to know? Because after all, the entire point of, you know, Veritas is we talk about changing yet one young heart and mind at a time. Um, and so for Christ. And so the whole point of reading this is not just to say you've read it or to say you've got a great education, but it's to help them better understand the world in which they live. Um, and that's, you know, people say, why is it all Western civilization? Um, but it's to help them understand the world in which they live through the lens of a Christian worldview and having students get to ask the tough questions while there's still people there to lead and nurture them. Um, fact, teachers or parents or whoever that may be but asking the tough questions that are going to come up in life. And I hear more parents say, I wish I could go through Omnibus, which by the way, I ran into somebody this summer and she had purchased a self-paced course for herself and was going through (laughs) it just because she said, it's probably going to take me three years. Can I get an extension? I'm like, oh, sure. We'll figure it out. Because I was so impressed that she wanted to further her education. My role as the uh, uh, publisher Uh, was to be kind of the last point of editing. Mm-hmm. And while I haven't read all of the content of all of the books, just reading the introductory essays and then going through all of that, I literally have read, yeah. in fact, edited every page. every page of every omnibus textbook, all six of them. And it was really a remarkable time to do that. It was, mm-hmm. uh, it was a lot of work, but it was a labor of love. And, and it really... Yeah. Uh, was a good thing. And I would really encourage any of you parents who are uh, interested in giving the kind of education that you're giving your children now to do it. Pace yourself, but uh, uh, eat away at it a little bit at a time. And I think you'll find it a real blessing. And I think one of the things that um, the older Marlon and I get, the more I look back and so many curriculums change all the time. Um, they do it for lots of reasons. Some people do it for bad reasons because they just want to change them to make money because then if they don't come up with new stuff, they can't sell new books. Others change because they think there's a better mousetrap. But the one thing I know is that scripture's really clear what we need to teach our kids. Um, and 
I think starting with history and Bible and having children become so familiar with scripture that it's just part of who they are. Um, I am blown away by parents that say to me, their, their children are the only ones that, you know, when they're in Sunday school or whatever, know the answers to stuff. Um, and that they're just so much more familiar with scripture. We want our young children to be to know scripture inside and out. Like we just want them familiar with the story. And then as they get into secondary, you probably know this, but Omnibus covers all the books of the Bible. And so if you go through the whole thing. And so we want our students to interact with that, but not just to interact with that, but we want them to interact with what else has gone in, on in history. We could talk then about so, another major project after that was the self-paced courses, yeah. which is an interesting story. The fun thing about it, was for the omnibus courses uh, for uh, the film team and the talent, the teachers, to literally go on site to film uh, various things. And if you've seen a self-paced course, you know that. If you haven't, you really want to take a look because filming uh, about the Battle of Marathon from the site uh, of where it happened or uh, uh, a French Benedictine monastery uh, to uh, discuss the rule of St. Benedict. I think one of the most fun things uh, that I remember about that was that Yost Nixon, the teacher that uh, arranged that monastery and taught there, uh, was able to uh, get uh, a special dispensation for one of the residents to be able to be interviewed. And he had not literally spoken in 10 years. So here's a guy being interviewed that hasn't used his voice to speak. as really cool. Another thing uh, is the... Um, uh, World War II and the yeah. concentration camp. Talk about that. Uh, they were filming um, literally in a cell in a concentration camp. And everybody that was there talked about just how overwhelming that was. I mean, that was a fun moment for Marlon and I also, because our third son, Travis, and his wife, um, they didn't do the history, but they did the, all the Bible and they did the omnibus. And, you know, to see your son and his wife be the ones that are behind that, behind the self-pace, it, you know. That was really cool. That's one of those yeah. moments that as a parent, you just go, oh, this is exciting. And then uh, uh, roughly 18, 19 years ago, we started offering online classes. The first year, we wanted to start very slowly and make sure that we we didn't get caught by surprise. So only allowed 16 students in a class. Yeah. We had two classes. <laughs> one teacher and one course, Omnibus One yeah. Primary. Right. We had um, our first end of year gathering following that. And of the 32 students, I think that 26 or 28 of them were there. It was pretty amazing. If we had 90% participation now, oh my goodness, I don't <laughs> and with families, that. we would probably have, I don't know. Tens of thousands of people show up in Lancaster, and, and that wouldn't be possible. But it's been a really, really uh, fun run, and we're not done yet. <coughs> Excuse me. We have other projects we're working on, uh, and uh, we have a great team to work with. Uh, this school year, which is the 23-24 school year, we have 170 Excuse me, teachers alone uh, all over the world. And I'm told we have students in 70 countries. 
It's we never saw it coming, did we? No, it's amazing when you pick up the phone. Every once in a while, when we get really busy, Marlon and I will hop on phones. Um, That's been a few years. No, I've been on the phone this summer quite a bit. Well, returning phone calls, but you're not handling call center calls. No, I don't get call center calls, but getting to talk to parents. And it's, it's always, you know, I had a woman that was literally in Africa and they're starting a classical school there and her kids are taking, she, they're starting grammar school. And so her older children are taking online classes with us, or it might be somebody in Pakistan. It's just amazing to see where, um, where things have gone and what God's doing and the way families really have connected with one another has been amazing. So we're glad that you have been a part of uh, the Veritas family for whatever period of time you have been. We hope that you'll continue. (laughs) It has really been uh, a labor of love with lots of challenges and lots of bumps along the way, but what a blessing it has been. Thank you for listening to us and being a part of what we've had a chance to do. You've been with us, of course, for Veritas Vox. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.